Good job. You go, girl. Yes. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here, and good morning, those of you who may be visiting with us. And we're just so glad that you're here. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we would pray that today would be that day that you might come into the wonderful understanding and embrace of his grace and salvation. Well, we're excited. Obviously, this is for many of us uh, one of the most favorite times of the year. And so uh, Christmas is indeed that time. And we're going to be going through an Advent series uh, this month, uh, a series of messages with the title of it being The Promise, The Promise. So if you have friends, if you have family members, uh, just anybody that you feel that just really would just need some holiday cheer, then invite them out for them to just hear once again, just to wonder in the beauty of the good news of the fact that Jesus Christ did come incarnate in the flesh. So before we get started, uh, if you guys could please stand with me as we're going to go through our values as a church together. I'll say the value, and then we will read this statement in one voice. A gospel-centered life. Gospel is the basis of our intimacy with God and our power for true transformation. Gospel-revealing community. By our love that transcends all natural bonds, all people will know that we are Christ's disciples. Unapologetic proclamation of Scripture. We stand on the solid rock of Scripture without compromise, for all other ground is sinking sand. Church as family. We as followers of Jesus pursue his vision of family through our deep and mutual commitment, interdependence, and affection. And lastly, a missional community. We join God's mission to make disciples. Tangibly, the power of the gospel in our city and in the world. You may be seated. If you will, bow with me before the Lord in prayer. God, will you prepare us for the hearing of your word? God, I pray that we would not approach this in a cavalier way. What we are about to engage in and what we have already been engaging in is an encounter with the living God through his word. His word through song and now his word through the preaching of your word. And God, I stand up here uh, a weak vessel. God, I am inadequate for these things. God, I pray that you take my weaknesses. And Lord God, will you manifest your power, your strength, your goodness, your love, and your faithfulness through it. That God, every eye and every ear might hear your word and be moved by it, changed and transformed. So Spirit of God, please, will you do a work that is far beyond human capability. Because at the end, what we want to see, what will give us greatest joy and hope is you and not a man. So God, will you show us yourself? We pray these things not by might nor by power, but by your spirit we ask them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. War and rumors of war. Economic instability and uncertainty. The destruction of the very moral fabric as we live in a culture that calls good evil and evil good. Modesty, decency, entitlement. A culture consumed with self. Social media is pulling us farther away from God and farther away from each other as we gaze into the glowing echo chambers demonizing one another and becoming more addicted to escape. Social, sexual agendas engineered to get not only ourselves but our children to embrace a sexuality that is not making things better but worse. We are not getting better. Depression, suicide, anxiety, fear, anger are not decreasing within the culture, but they are actually study after study demonstrating that they are on the increase. You know it. You live there. You feel the brokenness because we all know if we really asked ourselves where the brokenness is coming from, and it is in each one of us, if we're honest. 
if we're truly honest with ourselves, knowing that we are so far broken, the world, no matter what social construct is in place, whether it be a politician, whether it be an entrepreneur, whether it be business, it's not fixing the ills of our society. We need freedom. We need freedom. Imagine freedom. Imagine freedom for yourself. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from having to do everything that your peers want you to do in order to feel accepted and loved. Freedom from the shackles of of those sinful habits that continue to just weigh on your heart that hurt you and the people around you. Just imagine the kind of freedom. A freedom that is shot through with love. A freedom that is is shot through with joy. A, A freedom that ushers you into peace. A freedom that promises hope. Hope for your life. Hope for the people around you. And hope for our world. See, this is what Christmas is all about. But there's a reason why we're not there yet. There's a reason why the freedom isn't there, why, why the redemption isn't there. And I want to highlight for you this morning the force that opposes this and how we can stand in Jesus Christ hopeful even in the midst of all the decay that is in us and that is around us. So the question I have is what promise does a Christmas story declare in the midst of our brokenness? Now, the angle of the Christmas story that I'm going to give is one maybe that's a little unconventional. It actually focuses on a character that doesn't get much attention in the Christmas story. We don't read about this character in our Christmas books. I'm pretty sure if you were reading the Christmas story to your children, you probably wouldn't read about this character. At least you wouldn't if you didn't want them to have nightmares. Sure, we've all heard the Christmas story from the angle of of Mary or or Joseph or the wise men or even from, from the vantage point of the angle of the angels or even baby Jesus. But there's one central character in the Christmas story that's behind the veil that really is one of the central reasons for Christmas. You see, this Christmas story today has no baby in a manger, has no shepherds has no rejoicing or, or of wise men bringing gifts. There's, there's no worshiping of the angels. There are angels in this Christmas story, but they're not singing, no. In this Christmas story today, there is a beautiful clothed woman. There is a male child, a son. And there's a great fiery dragon who stands ready to devour the son. This is why I said you probably wouldn't tell this to your children over a bed night story, a dragon devouring a son. This is an apocalyptic Christmas story. Three questions I have for us this morning is, one, who is the force opposing our need for redemption? Secondarily, what is this force's mission? What is he after in your life? And then lastly, what promise can you hold on to in light of this force and the brokenness that comes with him? If you have your Bibles, and we hope that you do, please turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. Y'all thought we was going to be out of our Kingdom Come series. I was going to figure out a way how to talk about end times and Christmas. And to my, my, my pleasure, Revelation chapter 12 was there. So the first question is, who is the force opposing our redemption? Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. 
And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed, where, where there was a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Thus ends the reading of the word of the living God. We find ourselves basically in the middle of the tribulation period, right after the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet of the wrath of God. And, and the Apostle John, who is the author here of Revelation, he is now given a second vision. Now remember when I was talking about all of the movement of the judgments in the book of Revelation and how they telescope through Revelation. Remember I told you how there were certain vignettes or pauses that kind of just gave us a rest from all of the seals and then all of the trumpets and then all of the bowls? Well, now this is the second kind of vignette. Where, where John just says, let's pause with all of the judgments that are unfolding. And he introduces us to a character that is about to be introduced that's going to be a main character for the remainder of the tribulation period. So verse, verse 1 through 6 tells us about this character that's going to be a mainstay in the tribulation. From the middle all the way to the end. And in verse 1 through 6 that I just read, it's given us a history of this character. And first, what John gives us is a history of his past. Verses 1 through 6. His past and his movement in past history. Then, in verses 7 through 12, he gives us this character's future destiny. And he does it from the vantage point of heaven. And then, in verses 13 through 17... He tells us about this character, but he gives us this character's future destiny from the vantage point of earth. So really, all of chapter 12 is an introduction to this main character that's about to come on the scene during the tribulation. Now we see in verses 1 and 2, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, with the, with the moon under her feet, and her head in a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. You see a threefold description first of a woman. And she's a majestic woman. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but this is actually an allusion to Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 through 9. Where you have Joseph in his dream. You guys remember had Joseph and he had that dream? Well, in the first dream that he has, he dreams of the sheaves and the grain that are bound by his brothers and they bow down to him in verse 7 of chapter 37. And then the second dream that Joseph has is of the sun, the moon, and the stars, what we see here in verse 1. And they bow down in verse 9 of Genesis 37. Now, who's the sun and the moon? The sun and the moon are both Joseph's parents, Jacob and Rachel. And the stars were his what? Brothers that were bowing down to him. So what do we see here? Who is the woman that is being described here? It is the nation of Israel. All of the 12 brothers. The woman is the nation of Israel and she is pregnant and she's being pursued by the dragon. Verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads Ten horns on his head with seven diadem. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, that's Israel, who was about to give birth. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is the Christmas story. See, this dragon here has seven heads. With seven diadem. Diadem are crowns. So what that's pointing to is this dragon has a false kind of sovereignty. There's this power that he has, but it's a false kind of power. The horns that are on the dragon, these represent various nations of power and authority. You'll see them introduced in chapter 13 with the beast. And so Satan is actually going to move through the beast, and he's going to use these various nations. So first you see false sovereignty, then you see false authority. So the question becomes is, who is this dragon that wants to devour this child? Well, it tells us in verse 9 of chapter 12, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the what, everyone? 
Everybody say devil. And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The dragon in this story is the devil. And he is after the child that is coming from the womb of Israel. We see in verse 5 of chapter 12 just that. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nation with a rod of iron. Who do you think the child is? Jesus. Right? Psalm chapter 2 tells us, which is a messianic psalm, that the Messiah would come and he would rule with a rod of what? Iron. So here you have now the three characters really of the Christmas story. You have Israel. You have the dragon, which is the devil. And then you have the son, which is the Messiah. So then my first question, what is the force opposing our need for redemption? What is the character that are in the shadows of the Christmas story that you're not going to find in storybooks that's driving the force of the decaying of our world? It is Satan. It is the devil. And like he is named serpent, he likes to slither in the shadows. But if you pay close enough attention, he has been at the forefront and the center of the pursuit of the woman Israel and the baby in a manger from the very beginning of time. And why? Why? Because Satan loves to be in the shadows and he has a mission. He has a mission. And one of the things that I want to point out before we talk about his mission is the fact that Satan likes to stay in the shadows. And for many of us in our own lives, the devil's in the details and he's the shadows in the ways that sometimes we don't recognize. He's in the shadows in the ways in which we even don't give attention to. And he's wreaking havoc to areas of redemption in our lives that we don't even realize. Because nobody tells about the devil in the Christmas story, do they? But what we see, and I'm going to paint it out for you, he is one of the main characters in the entire story. And so now that we've seen the who, the question now is what? What is the dragon hungry for? What does the devil want to fill his belly with? What is the devil ultimately the dragon after in your life? And we see in verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast him to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, he might devour it. Satan's aim, the dragon's mission from the beginning of time is to devour God's promise of redemption in your life. If he can get to the sun then he can rob you of the most precious gift that the son has to offer, redemption. You see, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God pronounced a curse on the serpent. And in the curse, he promises that there will be a battle, just like we see here going on. There is a war against the serpent and Eve's offspring. And we see that from the beginning of time. It didn't begin when Jesus was born. It began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here we have the promise of redemption. Isn't it so wonderful to see that even right, on the, right after we all fell into sin, God already had a plan for redemption. That, that God is so full of mercy and grace that the first thing that comes is, is I'm, I know judgment is here, but redemption is coming. In other words, redemption to your world, redemption to this world will come through a person that comes from the seed, Genesis 3.15, of the woman. Now, the moment that Satan keyed in on the fact that Israel was God's chosen instrument, that, that woman that is in Genesis 3.15, he has been in a constant pursuit to destroy, verse 1, the woman of chapter 12, Israel. This is why it tells us in verse 4 that the dragon stood before the woman. The dragon Satan has been standing over Israel 
ever since he got keen to the fact that God had chosen Israel as the avenue and the key for his redemption. Why? Because if he can destroy the offspring, then he can destroy the promise. So since the beginning of time, you see him standing before the woman Israel, constantly trying to devour the promise of redemption for the world and for your life that is coming through her. You see the dragon in the shadows, maybe not clearly, but you see him in the shadows of the exodus, of the slavery. When all of a sudden in Exodus chapter 1, what do you have? The Pharaoh saying, let's just kill all the babies that are in all the land. Of Israel. You see that the dragon in the shadow of King Saul as he pursues King David because, because you see redemption has to come through his throne. Do you see the devil in the shadows? You see the dragon in the shadows of the book of Esther as Haman attempts to enact genocide on the entire Jewish race. Do you see the devil in the shadows? He moved wicked Adaliah to destroy the royal heirs of Judah in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, do you see the devil in the shadows? Do you see him in the shadows of the everything that we see in the Old Testament that would move us closer to redemption? And then when the dragon realized that the Messiah would actually come through Mary, he focused then not on just Israel, but he honed his focus in on that baby. You see, Satan was in the shadows of King Herod. You guys know the story, right? That's the Christmas story. And a lot of times our focus is on King Herod, but when Revelation chapter 12, 1 is telling us that there was somebody behind King Herod. There was a force greater than King Herod. There was a force that was plotting against the redemption that was coming through the baby that, that King Herod was trying to chase down. And when that failed, when the dragon couldn't get his hands on the baby Jesus through King Herod, 30 years later, you still see him at work because then you see Satan not behind King Herod, but then you see him very clearly in the wilderness and he's trying to tempt him away from being the redemptive movement of Israel through his person. But then also you saw him in the shadow of the Pharisees as they attempted to try to kill the baby who was the redemptive one. He was in the shadows of his own disciples as Jesus looks at Peter and he tells Peter, what? Get behind me. And who was it that was speaking through Peter? Satan. And then all of a sudden you had his own disciple, Judas, who betrayed him. And the text tells us who filled Judas? Satan. Because if he can get to the son, then he can rob us of our redemption. This is what we see throughout the history of the entire world. And what's powerful is Revelation chapter 12 is basically almost redemptive history in one chapter. It's past, it's present, and then it's future. And what you see here is the fact that when you look at Revelation chapter 12, you see the fact that the devil has constantly been on the pursuit for redemption. In verses 1 through 4, it's the past and the present. In verse 7, if you read it, it says, now war broke out in the heavens. So now this is the future, verses 7 through 12. But then not only that, you see the future again in verse 13 when he says, in verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the what? Woman. So what we see throughout the full chapter of Revelation chapter 12 is that the devil's been on the pursuit to eat as the dragon redemption in the past, present, future. In verse 7, he's in heaven with Michael trying to get redemption, and then he gets thrown down. And in verse 13 through 17, he's on earth. That's how desperate the devil is to get his hands on your redemption. Do you see the resolve? Satan has been and continues to be and will continue to be until the very end after redemption. The question I have for you is, do you see him in the shadows of your story? You see, we can give too much, I believe, to concentration on the devil, but I'm going to be honest with you. In our Western American culture, we don't give him enough. We fight not against flesh and blood, the scriptures tell us. The Christmas story really in the background is about a cosmic war that we are still in right now. Where is the brokenness on display in your life? 
I can guarantee you, just like in the Christmas story, he's in the shadows. Pay attention to the shadows in your life. It's not the boss. I know you think it is. It's not your spouse. I know you think it is. It's not your singleness. I know you think it is. It's not your poor situation. I know you think it is. It's not that individual that's driving just a little bit too slow on the freeway. I know you think it is. Satan is using things in your life to move you away from walking in the redemption that belongs to you in Jesus. You see, if you're in Jesus today, and some of you may not be, if you're in Christ today, he can't take away your redemption, but he can get you to live and think and feel like it no longer belongs to you. You see, he wants you to doubt your blessings and your position. You are blessed in Jesus right now. I don't care where you find yourself. But see, he works in the shadows to say, if you were really chosen by the foundations of the, before the foundations of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, then you wouldn't be in the kind of pain that you're in right now. If you were redeemed by his blood, the devil looks at, if you were redeemed by his blood, then, then you wouldn't fall into that same sin that you keep falling into over and over and over again. You see, if you were adopted as, as one of his own, then, then he wouldn't have allowed you or even allowed you to go through the kind of abuse that you've experienced. You see, the devil wants you to doubt the blessings and the position that you have in Christ Jesus. You see, he wants you to distort God's word. He wants, there are some of you right now that, that I'm talking to that are sitting that are dis discontent. Some of you right now that I'm talking to right now, you're bitter. You're sad, you're frustrated. There are unfulfilled desires that have yet to be met. And God is telling you right now in Christ Jesus, you're on the road to redemption. But the devil wants you to say, no, 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 you're not. I know God says that, that even in the midst of your unfulfilled desires, you're on the road to redemption. But I just want to kind of do like I did with Eve and just ask, did God really say that you're on the road to redemption? Did he really say that? I mean, you got to look at your life. It's pretty jacked up. It's pretty messed up, right? I mean, come on, man. How bad does it really have to get? So like Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. Do it your way. You see, the devil, he, he wants you to deny God's worth. He wants you to not believe that he's the treasure hidden in the field. The devil's constantly trying to put things before us that are of greater worth or at least make us think they are so that we live for them and embrace the dragon as opposed to the baby in a manger. You see, the greater treasure is opportunity and financial freedom. You see, for us, the, the greater treasure is healing. I've been wanting to be healed for so long. I've been sick for so long. I've been battling this for so long. The thing that's of greater worth for me is my healing. I just really want that affirmation and approval. My friends, I just want them to, to accept me for who I am and love me. All of us have conscious and subconscious expectations of the way we want our lives to look in some way, shape, or form. All of us probably, if we're honest, have a light at the end of some tunnel. And the devil's telling you that's the treasure. If you could get to the light at the end of that tunnel, that's the treasure. But then the frustration is the tunnel keeps going. Or have y'all felt like that? Or you ever been, like I was thinking about when I'm driving on the, um, on the 110, and at the junction with the 405, you know those tunnels, right, right, right past downtown? You get into one tunnel, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a little break, and kind of the light kind of beams in. You kind of feel like, oh, man, I got some hope. And then what happens? You ride back in another tunnel. Isn't that sometimes what it feels like in a Christian walk? And the devil wants to tell you, God is not worthy enough for you to continue to praise him. He's not worthy enough for you to continue to put your faith in him. He's not worthy enough for you to continue to commit yourself to him. You see, there's a devil. And what does he want? What is his mission? What has been and continues to be and will be even in the time of the tribulation, his main aim? The same enemy in the shadows of the Christmas, Christmas story. 
is in the shadows of your story. And his mission is the same. For those of you here who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and treasure, his aim is to keep you off the road of redemption. Because outside of him, there is no redemption. And you are on a road to destruction outside of Jesus. And for those of you who have found redemption in Jesus, that, that, that have come to see him as Lord, Savior, and treasure, you know what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to move away from redemption in that baby in a manger. And he wants you to just experience a constant beat down and a wear out on the road toward final redemption. That's his mission. He's always screwing with your redemption. And so now lastly, what promise can you hold on to as you fight that walk of redemption? What we see in verse 5 she gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up. Everybody say caught up. To God and to his throne. You'll see a pattern here. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. Everybody say defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Everybody say thrown down. That ancient serpent, serpent who was called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the whole world. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down. Everybody say thrown down. To the earth he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly away from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, time, and half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood, but the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Do you see the pattern? Verses 1 through 6 is the past, right? But what you see in verse 5, caught up, is the fact that the dragon was defeated. In verses 7 through 9, what you see, thrown down, thrown down. Verses 7 through 9, he was defeated. Verses 13 through 16, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down, what do you see in verse 14? That the woman is given two wings. And then in verse 16, but the earth came to help, defeated, defeated, defeated. Are you seeing the pattern that's trying to be painted here? You see, in Genesis chapter 37, you remember that vision that was the woman where, 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 where Joseph had that, that dream about all of the different, the sun, the moon, and his brothers. You see, Satan tried to put Joseph in a pit, but Satan couldn't hold him there. You see, baby Moses was in Egypt, and Pharaoh couldn't kill him. Esther... For such a time as this, and the dragon could not annihilate the Jews. King Herod gave a decree, but the king of heaven sent his angels. Satan brought a wilderness, but Jesus brought a word. Satan had Peter, but Jesus had the final word. Satan had Judas, but Jesus had Jehovah. Satan Though he had him and thought he had him on a cross, Jesus had a resurrection. Do you see the pattern? You see, when you look at the book of Revelation, which is also powerful, if you're, if you're not seeing the pattern yet, is the whole entire chapter of Revelation chapter 12 is in what's called a chiastic structure. So it mirrors itself. The beginning has a mirror to the end. The second part has a mirror to the very end. The third part, if I could put it up, I would. I need, we need to come up with some way, A.V., that I can almost do that finally with my chiastic structures because I like seeing them because they're powerful. And they, they, they help us to see what is the central aim of a text. And if you look at it from chapter 12 all the way from verse 1 to verse 17, the very beginning, verses 1 through 5, talk about the dragon pursuing the woman and her child. 
Well, what do we see? In verse 17, the dragon pursues other children. And then you see kind of breaking down, the woman is nourished 1,260 days in verse 6. Well, the woman is also nourished time, time, and half a time in verses 13 through 16. Then it says the dragon is overcome, verses 7 through 8. And then it says the saints overcome the dragon, verses 11 through 12. And now you get all the way, as I'm breaking it down, breaking it down, you get to the very middle of chapter 12. And you know what's at the middle of chapter 12? Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Revelation chapter 12 is in the middle of of the book of Revelation, which is all about the defeat of Satan. And in the very middle of the chapter of the book of Revelation is verse 9, and it is about the defeat of Satan. Do you see the pattern? What promise can you hold on to that you can kindly, that you can confidently walk in this fight of redemption? What promise is the Christmas story is that the very enemy of your redemption has been defeated. The enemy in the shadow of the Christmas story has one major theme, defeated. The declaration of the Christmas story is that there is not a devil in your life that can stand in the way of your redemption in Jesus, which means for you your destiny, regardless of every onslaught that the devil brings into your life, is redemption. What God promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, no powers can or will stand against it. That is the promise of the Christmas story. You see, Satan wants you to believe God can't, already has, and is in the process now of bringing redemption to every single place in your life. But here's the reality about the fact that there is so much concentration in chapter 12 for us to see as the reader the enemy of our souls defeated, 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 defeated. And here's why. Because if you're in Jesus, the only thing the devil can do to you when it comes to you being defeated is lie to you and tell you that you aren't. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, the cross made a public spectacle. All of heaven and earth, declaration, defeated. The fight now as a believer in Jesus Christ is to not believe the lie. You see, Satan has no legal ground because of the baby that was born in the manger that went to a cross, died, and rose over your life to keep you from the redemption that is yours in Jesus. You see, Satan wants to get you to hunger after your unfulfilled desires as the path to redemption. He wants to get you to doubt that God is in control over every situation in your life so that you try to see control as the thing that's going to bring redemption to that area in your life. The dragon wants you to wallow in condemnation for your failures. Satan wants to use the pains of your life to move you off the road of redemption. Listen, what feels like destruction, listen to me, what feels like destruction and death in the life of the Christian that's the thing that the devil uses to make you feel like, man, I'm not going to have no redemption in this. That thing that feels most painful, that's most frustrating, that's most unfulfilled is the peeling off of the layers of rot and decay and spiritual infection so that God can bring you into full and final redemption. And Satan uses all of that stuff that the Spirit of God is actually using to bring you into redemption and make you believe that that's the very thing that is against the redemption that's coming into your life. That's just the Spirit's tool. All of that pain, all of that suffering, all of those unfulfilled desires, all of the things that you want and wish you had but you don't have, that's painful, is it not? And the devil wants you to look at those things and say, see, God's not for you. And God is saying, what are you talking about? That is the very instrument that's bringing you into the redemption that I got you in Jesus. Even your sinful tendencies. You see, God uses guilt. Guilt is the Spirit's design to lead us into repentance and lead us back into his ways. It's designed to lead us back into love 
with him and those around us and mature us into the image of Christ. But you know what Satan does with guilt? He morphs it into condemnation. He morphs it into condemnation. The Christian, and he starts to get the Christian to marinate in the failure. Not to move you into repentance, not to move you to realize how wonderful of a salvation you have in Jesus and how you've been forgiven of that sin so you can continue to walk in freedom. No, no, he, he, he has you marinate in it. He wants you to make you feel like you're never going to measure up, man. You fell in that again and again and again. He wants you to believe that you're not enough. And he wants you to believe that the forgiveness that is yours in the redemption is not going to ultimately fulfill that longing that you have to feel free from it. I'm going to give you all a little nugget as I try to land this plane. I want you to notice in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Do you see an omission there? He goes from the child being born to what? Caught up to the throne. He left out his life. He left out the cross. He left out the resurrection. Aren't those kind of important? But there's a reason why the author does this. Because again, this is about a battle. And Jesus is on his throne in heaven. And he wants all eyes in this moment, at this juncture, to see one thing about Jesus. He's on the very throne of the universe. It belongs to him. It took the cross. It took the resurrection. But at the end of the day, here's the reality. Because he is in the throne... That means that he is at the right hand of the Father, which means all authority belongs to Jesus, all power belongs to Jesus, and all favor belongs to Jesus. Now watch this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us what? You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which means what? The authority, power, and favor that belongs to him has been given to you in him. And here's my question. If you're questioning today, if you're living a defeated life, is Jesus defeated? Where is Jesus seated right now? That's not a defeated position. If that's the case, then all the devil can do is lie to you to tell you something that's not even true of you because you are seated with him in the same place. Is somebody hearing me today? You see, we walk around from a position that we just are not. It's just a reality. It's just a fact. We are, of all people, victorious. Redemption belongs to us, period. So what promise can you hold on to in this Christmas story as you fight to walk in your redemption? The promise of the Christmas story is... Your redemption is sure because the enemy of your redemption is already defeated. So what does this mean for you? Two things because of this reality as I close. One, what you see in this cosmic battle in chapter four with the dragon, angels, the son, the woman, is a theme that runs for all of those that Jesus has made his own. And the first one is protection. Verse 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by whom? God. Verse 13, 
And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given, what? Two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent. Verse 16, the serpent, verse 15, the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. What are we seeing there? The reality of the baby born in a manger that's now on the throne means that all those belong to him are under his protection. Does that mean that you're not going to suffer? No, no, no. I'm talking about the thing that matters most about you. This, this flesh This don't matter most about you. The stuff in here, your pockets, don't matter most about you. The things that you got in your bank account don't matter most about you. The accomplishments, the accolades, the relationships, the this, the that, and the other, that's not what, you know what, you need to find somebody that can protect the thing that is in you that is going to be forever. That's why Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself. He's the wisest man. Dude, trust me. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. What profit a man to gain the whole world and what? Dude, the thing that you want protected most is your soul. That is the very nature of what it means for you to be you, and you will be that in whatever state you find yourself when your eyes close forever. And what Revelation 12 is telling us is from the past, present, and future, God has always been about protecting his people. When the tribulation happens, God's going to protect his people because God is a protector of his own. So no matter where you might find yourself, know that the redeemer of your soul is protecting the thing that's most precious about you. And that's good news for the Christmas story. And so secondarily, as we close, that should elicit something from you. And we see it in the very center of chapter 12. Verse 9, look at the response. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now watch the response. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. When you understand the reality of the character behind the Christmas story that is after your redemption and how I painted it, the fact that since verse 15 of chapter 3, He's been after your redemption for all time, and he will do that to the end of time. And then when somebody comes at you and says to you, that thing, that person that's after what's most important for the remainder of your eternity is defeated, you do verse 10, and you make a loud voice. You make a shout, because the, the, the enemy of your soul has been defeated. Y'all don't understand. Satan hates y'all. Do you understand that? That cat is after you. And the most frustrating thing for him is the fact that he's already lost. And so that's why heaven shouts. When this happens, because this is future, there's going to be a shout in heaven. There's going to be, when, when we, when we, and I don't know what position we're going to be in, we're going to be, we're going to be, up, we're going to be up there. That, that's, that's what I believe. And, and scholars kind of don't, 
know necessarily what's going to be happening during the tribulation period, pre-trib, all the good stuff. I'm not going to go into details with church. But here's the deal. If we're up there, we're going to see this battle. We might even be a part of the battle. And Michael and his angels, Michael is a boss, dog. I'm, I'm, I'm t- I've been doing some studies on angels. We might have to do some stuff on angels. We have to, because, ooh, ooh, these cats be going hard. Michael is going to go hard on the devil. And when that dude is thrown down, we are all going to shout. Hallelujah. Because, because it says the accuser of our brethren. See, right now the devil's in heaven still. He can go from heaven to earth. So you know what he does? He constantly accuses us before the Father of all of our inadequacies, all of our sins, all of the ways that we continue to fall short. And, that, and yet we have our great high priest constantly, the text says in Hebrews, interceding for us. Well, guess what happens? When the devil is thrown down, he can't accuse no more because he is on earth and he's staying there. Because from the earth, he's down there, and then all of a sudden, it's going to be lake of fire for that dude. Hallelujah. We will shout. Because there ain't going to be no more accusations, buddy. Satan's power is just going like this. That's what you see in the scriptures. It's just, it's just going like this. Do, 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 do. And there's going to be a day, man, where this dude is done enemy of our souls and we will rejoice so here's what I'm telling y'all if y'all got a shout today as we singing y'all better sing y'all better y'all better give a hallelujah for something come on now we ain't just going through the motions here this is life this is eternity and we are all but victorious amen 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 So who is the force opposing our need for redemption? That ancient dragon, that ancient serpent, the devil. What is his mission? To rob you of your security in the redemption that is yours in Jesus. And what promise can you hold on to in light of that brokenness? The enemy of your soul has been defeated because that baby boy was born in a manger. Your redemption is sure because the enemy of your redemption is already defeated. So now, if we could, let's prepare ourselves and our hearts for communion. Whatever you may, wherever you may find yourself. And again, maybe there are voices in your life right now where the devil is, is doing his work. Where he's making you feel condemned. He's making you feel like you can't be forgiven making you feel like the inadequacies in your life are a demonstration of God's lack of favor over your life. The unfulfilled desires means that God's not for you, but he's against you. Whatever whispers have you in a place that isn't redemptive in your heart, attitude, just bring those before the Lord right now. And just begin to declare and speak the truth of what God's promises are for you in Jesus. And when you get into a place where you feel like you're ready, you can come up to the front, grab uh, communion, and go back to your seat. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't committed your life to him as Lord, Savior, and treasure, then we ask that you would just observe as we partake of the table and let it be a motivation for you to step into the redemption that is an expression of what we're doing here in communion. So I'll give you a moment, and then when you're ready, you can come and get uh, the elements.